The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. President Trump was on Capitol Hill earlier today saying that Republicans are ready for a health care plan. One problem, no one knows where the plan is. We're going to dive into what the president had to say while he was up there. Plus, day two of Mueller week. The fallout continues. Will the Mueller report be made public? Democrats say they need that as soon as possible, but Republicans say not so fast. Meanwhile, the Green New Deal continues. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell agreeing, and to some extent with Democrats, he wants to know where everybody stands on that Green New Deal, obviously for very different reasons than Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And did you see this? A Bloomberg exclusive by my colleagues. President Trump tried to undo North Korea's penalty, contrary to U.S. account. We are going to break it all down with an all-star panel. Craig Gordon, Bloomberg News Washington Bureau Chief, is with us for the hour, as is Ron Bonjean. His first time on the program, he's a partner at Rock Solutions, as well as the former chief of staff to the Senate Republican Conference. And, uh, well, he's just a man, a man about Washington who knows everyone in every political circle. To the moon! That's what Vice President Mike Pence had to say. He wants to send Americans back to the moon. I might touch on that, too. But first, another busy day up on Capitol Hill as lawmakers in both parties continuing to dissect the findings of that Mueller report that has yet to be made public. But that's not if Democrats have anything to say about it. And I guess technically President Trump, who has said that he would be okay with it coming out publicly, barring, of course, any uh, national security concerns. The president, for his part, was on Capitol Hill today to meet with lawmakers, uh, and he had a lot to say in terms of, well, where he's hoping to take his administration from here on ter- in terms of policy. He says he wants to talk health care. We'll get into that in a second coming up later on the program. Ron Bonjean is a partner at Rock Solutions. He's the former chief of staff to the Senate Republican Conference. And Craig Gordon, my boss, the Bloomberg News Washington bureau chief. Uh, he's also with us for the hour. So, Craig, President Trump, day two of no conspiracy or, yeah, day two of no conspiracy. Where did he take it today? Yeah, you're right. He wanted to talk. It's it's interesting to me that both parties seem to want to talk about health care today. Uh, Pelosi was out yesterday, actually even over the weekend, putting forth some ideas for how to preserve Obamacare. There's um, Donald Trump up on the Hill today talking about not preserving Obamacare but getting rid of it and replacing it with something different, better, uh, Etc. But 
honestly, we don't know what that is from Donald Trump. They've spent a lot of time talking about how it needs to go away. They have not spent a lot of time talking about how to replace it. And I actually think in a funny way, Donald Trump is playing right into Nancy Pelosi's hands. Um, Obamacare is broadly pretty popular out there. People like the idea that you, you can get covered pre-existing conditions. They like the idea your uh, deadbeat college students can still be on your um, on your health insurance. And Donald Trump seems to want to make all that go away. In fact, the administration just came out and sort of endorsed a, a full and complete elimination of Obamacare in a court a court uh, case that's going on uh, out there right now. So Pelosi seems to be, maybe have the winning hand on this one, so I'm not totally sure why Trump wants to talk about it, especially since he's got uh, no plan. Well, that's what's fascinating. Ron Bonjean is, is one of the premier elite uh, a, a, a Republican strategist and, and business-savvy strategist here inside of the Beltway, is that typically – when, when an, a lawmaker will come out and say, okay, this is the policy that we want to talk about, in this case, health care. There's a big rollout. There's surrogates on the airwaves, flooding shows like Sound On on Bloomberg Radio and, and whatnot. And yet in this particular moment, the president's up on Capitol Hill and he says, I want to talk about health care. And, and the Republican staffers that were up there in the hallway were looking at me like, wait, what? Is that, is, what's the play here? Well, look, this is what Donald Trump does. And he put out he, he, he said what he said today. There's not much policy follow up. This is why we had a problem in uh, in the, in the uh, 2018 elections, because uh, we didn't have an answer to health care. We kept trying to repeal health, Obamacare, but we had nothing to replace it with. If we're going to have talk about health care, you have to have a plan. You have to have details. This is the, one of the top issues that voters are going to care about going into 2020. And I get why President Trump wanted to talk about it. He wants to turn the page from he wants to talk about what he's for. But you have to get underneath the soundbite. You have to start talking about how that's going to provide access to medicine, how it's going to help save Americans money. Um, and help people live better lives. It's I was really struck. I was struck by this, Ron and Craig, uh, because I, I think the president can't wait to talk about Bob Mueller some more, and can't wait to talk about uh, the findings of no conspiracy. Uh, and and we're going to hear from him, I believe, in prime time on th- tomorrow Thursday night uh, when he heads to uh, Michigan to have a campaign style rally. I mean, you kind of get the sense from even staffers, senior level staffers at the White House, but also some of the more junior ones. It really is this. Celebratory, almost like an election night feel where they won uh, against this. It, it really has been a remarkable uh, story to cover in the sense that it, this, this shadow, this cloud that has been over them, they feel they're out of the woods. Democrats say, hey, not so fast. I want to play for you, Craig, what President Trump had to say about the Mueller report earlier today. Here's the president of the United States. The Mueller report was great. It could not have been better. It said no obstruction, no collusion. It could not have been better. So he's saying it could not have been better. Agree? Uh, It'd be hard for it to be much better for Donald Trump. Obviously, we all know by now that Robert Mueller uh, left a little bit of a trapdoor in there for the president where he said, I'm not going to charge the president with obstruction of justice, nor am I going to exonerate him. I have to say, 48 hours after that report, or the bar version of that report came out, boy, that feels like a pretty big win for Donald Trump. Um, Democrats will use that little sliver of daylight there to try to run through it, to try to say, see, even Mueller couldn't say he was totally cleared. But, boy, I tell you, I think a lot of the country 
will probably take the view, look, you, you Democrats all told us Robert Mueller was the man. He's the best guy for the job. He's a straight arrow. He's a total you know, prosecutor's prosecutor. He had two years. He took his best shot. He couldn't find anything. I think a lot of the country is going to think it's time to move on. Obviously, in the left, you know, liberal base of the Democratic Party, there's still going to be a little bit of bloodlust for Trump. But I have to say for kind of the average voter out there that's trying to think about, you know, jobs, wages, health care, those things, this is going to feel like ancient history pretty quick. See, and, and, and it's fascinating because now we hear that Attorney General William Barr is going to be testifying publicly in the coming weeks. Uh, we've got this new development within the last uh, updated within the last hour that uh, Mr. Barr is planning to take weeks not months, weeks, to do the next Mueller report. It's as if the Republicans are saying, game on. You want to come after us? We're going to come after – we're going to investigate the investigation. Uh, but here's what Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi had to say. Here she is. I think that Mueller report was clear the president's not exonerated. So we know where the battle lines are, Ron, in terms of what Republicans are saying and what Democrats are saying. But from a strategic standpoint, is it wise for, one – Republicans and the president to continue to talk about this and two for Democrats to continue to talk about this. We've got a little less than a minute left. If I were the Democrats, I'd want to turn the page as quickly as possible and start talking about issues that matter to Americans instead of continuing to go down the rabbit hole needlessly after the Mueller report has come out. And everybody can see that it's a nothing burger for the Trump administration. Now, if you're Republicans, you have to put up an offense. You have to say that we are right. You have to kind of bracket these guys. Um, you know, from but 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 at the same time, eventually they're going to have to pivot too. I get why Donald Trump wants to do some rallies and high five America that it's time that he was right and it's time to move on. It makes sense um, because that's a win and a win needs to be celebrated. Once that's done, we need to keep moving. You said brackets. My mind went to March Madness, Madison, Wisconsin's uh, finest. Everybody, uh, Ron Bungin is first time on the program. He's with us for the hour. He's a partner at Rock Solutions, a former chief of staff to the Senate Republican Conference, and of course, the boss, Craig Gordon, Bloomberg News Washington bureau chief. Panel stays. We talk much more policy coming up. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also check us out on Radio.com as well as my colleagues on iHeartRadio. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On. It's a little matter we need to talk about. Did you call me to chit-chat or is there an actual emergency? I'm here to exceed your expectations, Senior Chief. I don't think we should talk right out here in the open, Chief. I think we should use the cone of silence. Chat with the Chief. With Kevin Cirilli and Bloomberg's Washington Bureau Chief, Greg Gordon. I think Greg is pretty cute. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. That music never, ever, ever gets old. It's, you know, a man who needs no introduction, but Craig Gordon, Bloomberg News, Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief. If you're going to have an introduction, I think that would be quite the introduction to have. Green Day, man. Go, go for yeah. it. Yeah. Don't forget South Park. Yeah, the, that that was added in in the in the. Yeah, I don't remember clearing that version of it, but uh, we'll, we'll let it. You slide. know, we'll let Pretty it. Slide. You know, I, I'm good. hard to stay mad at. Uh, <laughs> Craig Gordon is here. We, there was a, our colleagues are, had a massive scoop today. Uh, Saleya, uh, Jennifer Jacobs, and Nick Wadhams. This is a, a fascinating story. I'm going to read from the from the top line of it. President Trump last week intended to reverse sanctions imposed on two Chinese shipping companies accused of violating North Korea. 
Korea trade prohibitions until officials in his administration persuaded him to back off and then devised a misleading explanation of his vague tweet announcing the move. So there's been so much back and forth in terms of the president's North Korea policy. Yeah, I mean, look, when this tweet landed, we really honestly did not know what he was talking about. He talked about the uh, removal or the withdrawal of additional large-scale sanctions. And, you know, we covered this stuff pretty closely. We kind of felt like we would have noticed if the United States had dropped some new sanctions on um, Kim Jong-un's head. They had not. What they had done was ordered two Chinese shipping companies that were sort of illegally sort of trafficking uh, oil into North Korea to, to stand down. And we said, that can't be what he's talking about. Well, that's exactly what he was talking about. And the White House spent a lot of time that day. First, they wouldn't answer any questions about it from us or other media outlets. And then later, they gave us an explanation that said, no, 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 he wasn't trying to reverse those um, sanctions. But they never really gave us a clear um, explanation. We now know that's exactly what Donald Trump wanted to do. He wanted to erase those sanctions on those Chinese shipping companies as a way to, as a sort of a show of good faith to Kim Jong-un. Why the White House couldn't just tell us that in the first place was a little confusing to us, but we have uh, no fewer than five sources now giving us the straight scoop on that, and that was a, a terrific little uh, story for us today. Craig Gordon, Washington, D.C., Bureau Chief. He's mentioning the White House response regarding the president's apparent uh, dis- change of, of uh, North Korea policy in terms of how this has been developed uh, via his Twitter account. I want to play for you what Craig just alluded to, which is what the White House had to say about this on Monday. Here's White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders on North Korea policy. Here she is. The sanctions that were in place before uh, are certainly still on. They are very tough sanctions. The president just doesn't feel it's necessary to add additional sanctions at this time. So there you have it in terms of the the sanctions are remaining on North Korea. Where this gets particularly even more interesting and why it is so newsworthy and this scoop is so illustrative of of, of taking us really inside of the one-on-one between President Trump and North Korea Chairman Kim Jong-un is that, remember, folks, when they met in Vietnam, uh, there was a private conversation with a translator. And there's a lot of chatter about, you know, where is the... Uh, transcripts and whatnot. And we hear these types of of discourse every time the president does have those one-on-ones with translators uh, in the last case with uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin. And so with this particular case on North Korea, President Trump's supporters would say, well, this is the new way of doing business. It's a one-on-one. This is a sign of strength. He's going to negotiate uh, on his own. But it's also maybe a clue into what the U.S. was hoping would have happened in Vietnam and ultimately did not happen. Yeah, you have a sense that um, coming out of the first summit in Singapore that there was at least some movement toward a possible deal. Obviously, Trump can say rightly that Kim Jong-un has not fired off any missile tests. He's not done any more nuclear testing underground. That's good. That's obviously better than him continuing to do it. You do have a sense after Vietnam, though, that um, Trump and Kim went in that room and uh, Kim made an offer. We know the offer included possibly uh, stopping some of the shutting down one of the missile sites. If the U.S. would lift sanctions, Trump said no. Kim kind of went off in a huff. And so there's a chance right now that that whatever tiny little green shoots of hope for a deal were there have now been stomped. Um, I think 
you know, we're all kind of used to Donald Trump's way of doing business two, two years and change into his presidency, but it can never be overstated. This is not how foreign policy is done. You don't do it through tweets. You do it through careful negotiations with your experts around you. Uh, remember, this tweet came in the hours before we knew the Mueller report was going to land. It was a fair to call that a tweet storm. Trump was throwing a lot of stuff against the wall to see what would stick, and we now know that the White House had to kind of try to clean up, uh, clean up his mess. But see, you know why else I, I find this story so... Uh, interesting, and it's it's not a critique or a, a compliment, but it's just interesting because for months we've been reporting that that the trade talks between the U.S. and China had nothing to do, folks, with North Korea, that they were entirely separate. And then this story just essentially says, yeah, not so fast. The Chinese are without question so uh, interconnected to to the to the North Korea denuclearization talks, as everyone knows. I mean, it's 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 not a secret at all. And what our colleagues at Bloomberg are uh, scooping today is that President Trump intended to reverse sanctions imposed on two Chinese shipping companies accused of violating North Korea trade. Keyword trade prohibitions. Ron Bonjean is a partner at Rock Solutions. He's a former uh, uh, communications director uh, for former chief of staff. I, f- I apologize, Ron. Former chief of staff to the Senate Republican Conference under Senator John Kyle. And so, where do we go from here? Because what I, in terms of the the North Korea denuclearization talks? Because my mind when I read this story was also into what was playing domestically during these talks, which was Michael Cohen testifying before Congress and more importantly, arguably, on every television network as this was happening. And there was chatter as to whether or not the president was weakened while he was abroad because of what was happening here domestically from the Mueller report. So round three with Trump and and Kim Jong-un, is this an emboldened Trump because Mueller has been lifted, the Mueller cloud? Well, I will say this. I'm really glad that Trump didn't cut a deal to cut a deal to announce that he had something to be victorious and, you know, uh, when we would have been shortchanged out of it. And so I I think, you know, when you have such a high profile meeting like that, you want to have some kind of result that you walk away with. But in this case, walking away with nothing was probably the best result. Um, Having said all that, it's hard to see where this goes from here. I could see him doing another meeting later this summer. I, I, you know, it's not out, of the, not out of the question. He loves these big moments. And having these big moments when he wants to have the narrative go his way, um, you know, when, now that the Mueller skies are clear, you could see him wanting a do-over. I'm just not sure where it goes at this point. But I will say this on the foreign policy track. It's interesting. On, on the sanctions that you guys were talking about, as well as the Syria troops, both have patterns of Trump forward-leaning and then being pulled back by his administration. I find that really fascinating. Yeah, that is. That is that's a great great point. Coming up, we talk domestic politics, Green New Deal. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell wanted a vote and he got one. Panel stays Ron Bonjean, Craig Gordon. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also check us out on radio.com and iHeartRadio. You're listening to Bloomberg Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. 
I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Tuesday, folks. Hope your bracket is going well. We're talking about hosts of different Mueller fallout. Will the Mueller report eventually be made public? President Trump says, hey, release it. Uh, But Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, as well as 2020 presidential candidates, all saying that they want that report made public as soon as possible. Meanwhile, more uh, intrigue, really, into the president's policies on North Korea following this Bloomberg exclusive by my colleagues, uh, Saleh Mosin, Jennifer Jacobs, and Nick Wadhams. They're reporting that the president intended to reverse sanctions imposed on two Chinese shipping companies accused of violating North Korea trade prohibitions. But then his administration got him to back off. And, of course, trade talks, another major major development today as the business community, particularly automakers, descended upon Capitol Hill. Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and U.S. Trade Representative Lighthizer are over negotiating uh, with the Chinese in terms of the ongoing U.S.-China trade talks. But auto CEOs nervous about tariffs, particularly increasing tariffs on imports here into the U.S. I was able to interview Tom Dahl. He is the CEO of Subaru in America. They're out of Camden, New Jersey headquarters, about all of these developments as he was meeting with Republicans in particular, trying to get Republicans to get President Trump to reverse course on those tariffs. Here's a portion of my interview with him that aired earlier today on Bloomberg Television. Nobody really wants these tariffs. They're, they're, they're not good for the consumer. Ultimately, the price of the car has to go up. And, you know, depending upon who you listen to, the effect could be anywhere from 5000 to $7,000 on the high end. Raising the monthly payment that somebody would have to pay for a vehicle from, say, $550 a month, it might be by another $125 a month to 675 maybe to $700. That's somebody's mortgage payment. Somebody's mortgage payment. And it really shows, I think, the, the middle class argument here. Because I think a lot of times we take the top line view, but this would have an impact as well you're saying uh, on on consumers in, in the middle class and not just the top line view. You bet. I mean, in terms of affordability of vehicles, I mean, who's going to be able to afford it? I mean, there's estimates that potentially the size of the market could contract anywhere from two to three million vehicles should these tariffs be fully implemented. I was going through the numbers uh, for before this interview, 87 consecutive year-over-year growth for Subaru. Do you think that that becomes at risk should the Section 232 tariffs go into effect? There's no question about it, Kevin. Because, really? Yeah, because ultimately what could happen is the prices of the cars go up, and therefore, how do you put people into payments? Most people today are buying either on a lease or a loan. They're not paying cash for the vehicle, so the monthly payment becomes critical. 
And then it's not just in terms of the federal regulations. There's also this brewing battle over in California in particular about uh, environmental standards. The auto industry, as you know, uh, firsthand is, is really back in, in the middle of that, urging uh, the federal government to, to follow, I would argue, California's lead. What can you tell us about where that issue stands? Well, obviously, we would like a 50-state solution, whether it's the California regulations or the federal regulations, but probably somewhere in between is best for the auto industry in general. So we're hopeful that the administration in California can reach some type of a compromise. And then when you're up here, what is the next moment in terms of if, if for all of the trade watchers up on Wall Street or even here in the Beltway or over in Europe, what is the next key deadline for Section 232 that we should all be watching out for? Well, I'm hopeful that whether it's Congress or the president, that they come to the conclusion that these tariffs are not necessary for full and vibrant trade for that to happen, whether between the EU, China, Mexico, Canada. And is there a way for Congress to maybe pressure the president, should he continue to follow through, uh, to, to back off of these Section 232 declarations? Well, we're certainly hopeful that the members of Congress will continue to keep pressure on the president to make them understand the impact. I mean, from agricultural products to automobiles, it affects everything. And so when you've been up here, have you found a receptive audience? Yes, we have. Uh, our Congress folks, the Congress people have been very receptive to the message that we have, and they're concerned whether you come from an agricultural state or an industrial state. Everyone's concerned about the tariffs and the impact that these tariffs are going to have on consumers. I've got one more question for you. I can't believe I'm going to ask you it. Are Subarus a national security threat? Of course not. In fact, we'd like to think that we, we support the national security of the United States. All the, all the research and development that we're doing right here in the United States at our two research and development centers in Michigan and in California with autonomous driving and other technologies that we're developing. So we're clearly not a national threat. It's where trade gets interesting, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Our thanks to Subaru CEO Tom Dole as he dives into trade policy. He was on Capitol Hill earlier today. For my full interview with Tom Dole, Tom Dole you can go head over to Bloomberg TV. Remember, you can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com and iHeartRadio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. It's Tuesday, folks. It's still cold, though. Where is the spring? Where is the spring? Hope your bracket is going well. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg News Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We're talking trade policy, talking Mueller report fallout. Uh, and we just heard from the Subaru CEO, Tom Dahl. Uh, and he was telling us about how the business community is urging Republicans to get to the president's ear uh, that they – uh, that they change course on, on some of these tariffs that have been impacted by the ongoing escalations, not just with U.S. and China, but NAFTA 2.0 or USMCA and, of course, the European trade talks as well. Another big development up on Capitol Hill today where President Trump was. He says he wants to have Republicans talking about health care. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, he says he wants to get everybody on the record about where they stand on their Green New Deal. Uh, and here to walk us through the politics of all of this, Craig Gordon, Bloomberg News, Washington Bureau Chief. Ron Bonjean is also a partner at Rock Solutions. He's former chief of staff to the Senate Republican Conference 
uh, under Senator John Kyle. So, Craig, this Green New Deal, uh, I, 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 candidly, we had uh, progressives on earlier this week and last week, and they said, hey, we agree with Leader McConnell. Let's have a vote. We want to know where everybody stands on this. It seems like this has become... I hate to compare this to the wall, but in terms of the big idea, whereas President Trump laid down a marker with the wall, the left has laid down a marker or certain folks on the left have laid down a marker with the Green New Deal. Yeah, look, but the problem for Democrats is that the Green New Deal is – you could debate the merits of it or whatever. It is easily parodied. You know, People have made a lot of jokes about uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talking about flatulent cows – getting rid of cars, 10 years we're going to eliminate all carbon. I think, again, the smarter people that can meet can debate the merits of those ideas, but I do think for a lot of uh, folks out of middle America that might sound a tad extreme. Um, And so I think Democrats are trying to walk the line. They often have to walk, and you're going to see them walk it every day from now till the November 2020 election, which is how do you keep your liberal base happy where the energy and the the drive in the party is while not looking – you know, uh, a little cuckoo to sort of voters out there in middle America, again, that might like their car and, and might think they probably can't really get, get rid of carbon in the next 10 years. So it's a bit of a gift for the Republicans in one way. And I think Mitch McConnell tried to make that point today. I really liked it a lot. <laughs> I mean, Rob let's Bajin vote on this. This does deal. not let's, surprise me. Ron. Let's vote on this every day. <laughs> See, um, there you go. You know, I, I think that McConnell made the right choice by putting it on the floor, and it's it's sort of a test photo where the Democrats stand, and it causes an argument within the Democratic Party between the left and the centrists about where everybody is on this. Also, the devil is in the details, and they're really aren't a ton of details out there, although, you know, there are cost estimates of this costing a lot of money. Um, And it just shows how high in the sky and thoughtless the Democrats have been in putting this policy forward, because it's been nothing but a fun policy pinata to hit over and over again. But I got to be honest, I'm having political flashbacks here. I mean, because I remember when the president was talking about the wall and chasing virtually every Republican prior to really when the when the 2016 race really got started. And I remember, you know, we were all in gaggles with then with Senator Cruz and, you know, and and, and even conservatives who were like, I don't know if the wall is, is a really, you know, a good idea. It's. I don't know. I mean, this is a marker. It feels very similar. Obviously, there are two very different policy uh, ideas, but the the strategy and an idea, and we were talking about this earlier in the program, where Democrats, you know, should they move on from Mueller? Should they sit, still stand with this? Say what you want about AOC. Again, the merits of which, whatever, uh, whether you agree or disagree. But in terms of a political strategy, they have set down a marker, and I'm, I'm looking at this list. Every demo, you need 60 votes to clear the cloture. Cloture is the threshold vote, uh, and it failed. Uh, but it was really an effort on Leader McConnell to get Democrats on the record for where they stand. And, and everyone was curious to see which Democrats would join Republicans in opposing this. And it was Senator Doug Jones of Alabama. That's that's a shocker to no one. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, predominantly coal country. That's a shocker to no one. Kirsten Cinema of Arizona. That actually, she voted with Republicans on this against the Green New Deal, uh, and and Senator Angus King, an independent who caucuses uh, with the Democrats, also voted no. But Kirsten Cinema, Craig Gordon, Washington bureau chief of Bloomberg News, 
Kirsten Cinema voting with Republicans. Yeah, if I'm her, I'm out in a state that is traditionally a Republican state in presidential politics. I think Kirsten Cinema is a person that probably wants to run for president herself someday, to be honest. So she's gonna she's gonna tack her votes a little more carefully to her home state. You mentioned four senators that that voted no. Um, those are four senators that should have voted no, frankly, and to to stay close to their local politics. I mean, look, politics is about bold strokes and broad strokes. The wall. It's a two-word thing. Everybody knows what it means. And then you can debate the nuance underneath it. But, but Trump laid down a marker. Green New Deal. The, the beauty for Ron's party and why he loves his vote today so much is that nobody actually knows what it is. <laughs> but you can – so you can pack any, idea, any crazy idea under the moniker of Green New Deal and paint the Democrats as looking, again, like a little out of step with, uh, with how we live our lives in America today. That's exactly right. There, were, there have been focus groups in the last week or so and vote in Wisconsin, and voters don't know what the Green New Deal is. So Republicans can run ads – in targeted states against Senate Democrats to say, these guys voted for the Green New Deal. Guess how much it's going to cost you? A lot of green dollars out of your wallet. And it, it's just, it's perfect. It's a gift that, that keeps on giving. All right, so, so you got the Green New Deal, and then there was this other news development, and I know that I'm, I, as every, I'm, I'm a huge space dork. I watch virtually every space movie that comes out, Interstellar uh, and... Armageddon is one of my all-time favorite movies. But the vice president said today that he wants to put folks back on the moon, Americans back on the moon, any means necessary. Did you guys see this? Because it was – it really – whether it's Space Force or whether it's the moon, and I think it got a lot of chatter on social media and whatnot. But from a policy standpoint, this is really a, a, a policy victory for private investment into commercial space travel. And I think that that – I think narrative, I hate that word, but that storyline has really been the common thread in terms of what we're seeing. So are we going to send more Americans to the moon, Greg? Uh, look, if you're Elon Musk and you run SpaceX and you're Jeff Bezos and you run uh, Blue Planet, this is a good day for you because basically the United States government just said, we might need to buy some of your rockets and some of your you know, technology to get these folks into space. I, I have to say, George Bush talked about a moon, a moon shot. Barack Obama killed the idea, said it was too costly. Newt Gingrich. Hearing Donald Trump talk about a moonshot, I just i am not sure that's where Americans' heads are at right now. I think there's a feeling there's a lot of problems a little closer to home on Earth here. It feels like a big, bold stroke. It feels like, but to me, it feels like a bit of a reach. Um, I'm not sure there's too many people clamoring for um, sending wow. people back to the moon. Look, I'm a space Boss. buff, too. I'm a space buff, too. I totally disagree. I, I think people want to I can to... take you back farther in space movies to Capricorn One. Look it Don't up. Don't even know what the that fake is. fake moon landing Don't movie. even know they what that is. They did a movie about a fake moon landing. The moon landing was real. Well, I'm saying the movie it was. You know, we don't really know, do we? Do we, we do know. Well, we do know. We totally know. <laughs> but all I'm saying is when Kennedy did this, it was a way to rally the country beat the Russians, get there first, plant the flag. Uh, the, the country was in a mood to kind of rally around the flag. I'm just not sure that's where America is right now. I, well, I think people could decide maybe in both parties they would like to see some politicians on the moon maybe. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think it's inspirational, and I think that's what he's saying. He's trying to inspire Americans into dreaming big. I get that. That makes a lot of sense. Plus the Chinese just did a lunar landing on the other side of the moon, and so there is some competition between – um, between, you know, the, the Trump administration and China, I think, and, and space, obviously. Space travel's here. I mean, I'm not even joking, and I know folks, I mean, the more, we got to talk about it more, because it's here, uh, and in our lifetime, it is, it is here, and uh, it's going to be fascinating to watch. Ron, this is your first time on the show. It was amazing. Five stars. Really? I am so excited to be here. Thank you very much for having me. 
I Who hope do you worry back. about in 2020 on the left? You three members, um, Kamala Harris, uh, Beto O'Rourke, and Beto? Uh, Joe, Joe Biden. Why um, Beto? Um, just because he's one of those unknown factors, blank slate kind of people that is very can, – can escalate his populism. But the polls, fast. Pete Buttigieg, is really kind of – I hear you. It's yeah. early on. There's just three, early. three folks I'm watching right now. And do you think Biden gets in? Does he wait more or, do, or does, he, does he jump in sooner I rather than later? He has to jump in it's sooner rather than later. I mean he's already talking to us. Uh, behind the scenes, he's worried about raising money. Does Mueller hurt him at all because it didn't really come up with maybe what people thought? I don't think it hurts Biden at all. No? No. You don't think it has the calculation to— I don't know. Uh, I'd, I'd make a case that for all three of the people that we that Ron just mentioned, the same three I'm watching, Biden, Kamala Harris, and Beto O'Rourke, not having to talk about Robert Mueller is a very, very good thing. Wow. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. My boss, Craig Gordon, Bloomberg News, Washington Bureau Chief, and Ron Bonjean, his first time on the program, hopefully not his last. He's a partner at Rock Solutions, which deals with the intersection of business and politics and messaging here in Washington, D.C. He's also the former chief of staff uh, to... Uh, the Republicans. Thanks for listening. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.